0: It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents...
1: 99 yards away. Win
0: this game for one another. The Final Drive with Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The Final Drive, live on 105.5 FM. And streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome
2: to a Let It Marinate Monday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone had an outstanding weekend. It was filled with high school football on Friday night and Saturday and early morning NFL football yesterday and you know, if you're an Alabama, and Auburn fan, we want to hear from you for sure, as always. If you're Saints fans, we want to hear from you. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Tony Sakalis, Zach Blackerby, and the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Mike Haas. So we've got a great show on this Let It Marinate Monday. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. Get your thoughts on the Auburn Tigers and the Alabama Crimson Tide? Was it the type of performances that you were pleased with? Are there moral victories or such thing in college football or in football in general? Because you look at the performance of Auburn, 14 and a half points was Vegas saying, look, this is what the line is going to be. And we were wondering how in the world was that possible? Well, Auburn, absolutely gave Georgia all they could handle on Saturday. And it was in probably one of the best atmospheres in college football, if not the best atmosphere in college football in Jordan Harris Stadium. So many people waiting for Auburn's offense to come alive. Well, I wouldn't say it came alive. You not necessarily found your great starting quarterback, But it sure was good to see Auburn put up a fight against the Georgia Bulldogs.
3: Yes, it definitely was. I mean, Auburn fans, as happy as you can be about a loss, I guess today would be the day to feel that. But I would actually say this is more on Georgia and the holes that they have. Because, I mean, Auburn still didn't move the ball by passing it, right? Peyton Thorne finished 82 passing yards. I mean, I think that they should go ahead and go to Robbie Ashford personally. Like, if you're going to run this Georgia Tech, just like dominant quarterback running offense and lean on that run game, then we th- I think we can both agree that Robbie Ashford's the most talented in that department, right? Sure, absolutely. So I say go ahead and just go with it because, I mean, did we really all think Auburn fans, Alabama fans, just be honest. Did we really think that Auburn was going to pull this out? Like, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, it just it, it felt to me the vibe wasn't, wow, Auburn, turn it on, and you can really make this a win. To me, it just felt like, all right, when is Georgia going to actually turn it on and win this game? Because the way Auburn played, they played the same way they played last week and the week before last, just in this game. It remained tighter for a longer period of time. I mean, I don't think they did anything really that different. Do you?
2: Yes, I do, because they scored points. Okay, they yes. scored points. You look at what they were. They were with Texas A and M. Offensively, it was ten to zero. And I know you play four quarters of football, but for Auburn to jump up and hit Georgia in the mouth, ten to zero, that could have easily been. Flip flop to where Georgia pops Auburn in the mouth 10 to 0, and now you have 85, 88,000 people sitting on their hands, and you forget where those orange shakers came from. But Auburn comes out, pops Carson Beck in the mouth. They go ahead and Peyton Thorne has that nice long run. They are really dominating and controlling the line of scrimmage. It was a great game plan. I think a lot of that had to do with Hugh Freeze's play calls and the ability to know that Carson Beck, I've got a daggum good defense that's going to allow me to stick around. And as, the longer you let Auburn stick around, the scarier it was for Georgia. But to Georgia's credit, They had already been down before, whether it was at home or not. You had Carson Beck, who was still in that same situation that he was against South Carolina, except he had a whole lot more fans booing him, and there was a lot more noise that was being made not in his favor and was against him. But if you don't think Brock Bowers is the best player in college football, please call this show because I want to have that discussion with you. Or hit us up in the app, that free Sound of Mobile downloaded app. Now you think. Brock Bowers is the best college football player, period. You think he's better than six touchdowns Caleb Williams? Yes, wow. period. Period. Brock Bowers does not have the football in his hand every That's single true. play. When you throw it to him, he makes a play. When you need him, he makes the play. And Brock Bowers absolutely single handedly took over that football game in yes, the second half. Yes, Six catches, 148 yards. Nick, I love to know Nick Saban says it. I've said it. You know at the end of games, LeBron James is going to get the ball. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan's going to get the ball. Right. You know where it's going, and you have to find a way to stop it. Well, whether it was man-to-man coverage, whether it was zone coverage, Auburn had no answer for Brock Bowers and this man comes away with eight catches for 157 yards total and when you're trailing 17 to 10 you knew that it was going to Brock Bowers on that final drive and Auburn fans knew it was going to Brock Bowers but you still couldn't stop him there's not a better college football player right now Brock for Heisman
3: wow I don't know if he'll get the Heisman I just, like you said, he doesn't, I don't mean, think he touches the ball enough.
2: Oh, well, it, it like doesn't when this, you At the
3: end of the year, you compare the stats to
2: a guy that has matter. 50 touchdowns doesn't and a matter. guy that's got 10. Doesn't matter. He controls the game. I agree. Controls the game. And he, again, he is the, the tight end. You can take tight end off of that. Uh, it doesn't matter. It just so happens that is his position listed. He doesn't play like a tight end. I mean, Georgia doesn't even have a chance to win this game. But if you give a quarterback like Carson Beck the safety blanket of knowing he can throw to Brock Bowers and he's going to cash in, they were just bouncing off of him like ping
3: pong balls there in the second half. Well, Kirby Smart had some comments after that game. Like you mentioned, South Carolina, they were down against them. They were down for the majority of the game against Auburn. Let's hear Kirby Smart kind of summarize and break down the game.
4: They all matter, like they all feel good. I mean, we, we put so much into this. I mean, 16, 18 hour days for five, six, seven days. These kids work really hard. There's a lot of buildup. And then when you, you know, have a situation where you are behind, I don't know how many times, it's not like we're behind the whole game and you come back and win on the road says something about your team and your character. Nobody panicked. Nobody panicked. You know, and, and, you know, I, I don't know how good a team we got. I really don't. I don't sit here and proclaim that we've got some unbelievable team. But I do think our team believes in each other. We connect. Uh, we step up when we need to step up. But we can't keep turning the ball over.
3: They had two turnovers on Saturday. Now, look, he says he doesn't know how good his team is, but that they believe in each other. I mean, they're definitely not as good as they were last year. I think we can all agree on that. Do they have to be? They are as good as they were
2: last year. You know why they are? They're undefeated, Nick. Yes, but... So they are as good. They're undefeated.
3: Yes, from a win-loss record, yes. Okay. But when you're really watching the games, wow, they're down for the majority of the game against (laughs) an Auburn team that struggled against Texas A&M last week. They're down for the first half against a South Carolina team who's dropping games to North Carolina and losing. So and look we talk about this with Nick Saban and cuz I don't even really know what college football team out there right now is going to dominate every opponent they have. We all thought it was Georgia because the schedule was a cupcake schedule and now here we are seeing if you're playing legitimate programs, you know, Auburn's a legitimate program, South Carolina's a a legitimate program what were they top 20 based off the high school recruits prior whatever. to what happened against
2: tennessee yes but
3: so now i guess maybe this is just the state of college football the parody any team can lose any week to any opponent Period. because it's not looking like anyone's really just
2: super dominant over their opponent michigan has handled their business against every opponent that they played. Michigan has handled their opponent. Now, if you want to go by the amount of points scored, if you want to go by point uh, margin of victory, Michigan has handled their business. They're, They're nipping at the heels at number two there. Can't wait to jump to number one. But as far as Kirby Smart's comments, when asked at halftime, were they rattled? Kirby, I love the growth of Kirby Smart as a head football coach, he said, I wouldn't say they've rattled us. They've, we've got to have great composure. We've just got to play better. So that's Kirby Smart showing his composure as a head coach. And when asked that question about the turnovers, we do things that put Auburn in scoring position. And I know for a fact, hearing out of Kirby Smart's mouth, He's not just sugarcoating the fact that that was one hell of a game that they played against Auburn. They're lucky to have come away out of the Deep South's oldest rivalry with a victory. And seven years in a row, you come away with the win versus who is considered your your deepest Robbery, your oldest robbery, because again, a lot of people would tell you that Georgia game means a lot more than the Iron Bowl so does. Mean. Do you think that
3: Georgia was the luckier team in getting out with a win, or do you think that Auburn was the luckier team in just somehow staying in that game?
2: Auburn played at home at Jordan Hare Stadium. That stadium was electric. They fed off of the fans. They fed off of the energy. They fed off of the pre-game hype. When you have Cam Newton, who has a statue outside, uh-huh. you have Frank Thomas, you have uh, Charles Barkley, Sonny Lee. Lee is yeah. out there, and then you turn around and you look at Takeo Spike, some of the greatest right. ever. To even I mean, step foot on the uh, campus. I definitely think that this
3: is a step in the right direction by far because if you can put out that subpar of a team, that and when you look at the stats, it's very remnant to the uh, bad showing out at Texas A&M. And when you, it's still that close to the same production, but the score is that close against that level of competition – all off the hype of your fans and that stadium. All that tells me is that when Hugh Freeze does get a year or two under his belt and he does have the guys that he needs and wants and a quarterback that he really trusts out there to make some tough throws,
2: I think that Auburn, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Well, here's the thing for Auburn again. They come in, Georgia only gives up 87 rushing yards a game a game, and Peyton Thorne pops off a 61-yarder to start the contest, and then he turns around and Auburn has 219 yards rushing for the game. So you almost quadruple the number of yards that Georgia's used to seeing on the ground. Auburn, their running game was spectacular Yes, in regards to the way that they were able to gash Georgia. Auburn fans, I know... Do we think there are such thing as moral victories? Because if there are such thing as moral victories, this is one for the Auburn program. I wouldn't count it as a moral victory because
3: at the end of the day, you took an L. But that's why you say it's moral. You don't count it as a You say moral. I, I would say... Meaning morale. Maybe we're both saying the same thing with a different title. I would just call it a step in the right direction. There's hope for the future. Wow. The way that this crowd got behind this team... We still couldn't throw the dang ball. The wide receivers still weren't getting any separation on their routes to help us. But wow, just out of you know sheer will, we were able to stay in this game against the best team in college football. I think whenever the roster is how Hugh Freeze wants it, maybe when Perry Thompson gets out there, you got some receivers you like, you get a quarterback that you like. I think they could have won this game if they had the right pieces. This year they just don't have the right pieces. I mean, we're looking at a 6-win, maybe 7-win Auburn team here, but when it when it all starts clicking together, I think um, I think this I think Auburn could win a national championship again under Hugh Freeze. And by the way, that crowd was just if he can get his recruits and roster in place like he wants.
2: Well, I will say this, Auburn only converting two out of 12 on third downs two out of 12 Nick if you're two out of 12 on third downs you wouldn't think that you would have only lost by seven points on the last drive of the contest you wouldn't have expected that you would have said man our total offense is going to suck because we're going to go three and out three and out three and out punt 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 no they came out punch Georgia in the mouth, and if it's not for Brock Bowers, again, the best college football player in America who right now should be leading for the Heisman Trophy Award, then Georgia loses that game. And Mm -hmm. Auburn comes away with the most historical upset that you could possibly imagine in college football. Well, look, and you talk about them being 2 of 12 on
3: third down. Uh, We talk about them throwing for 83 total passing yards as a team and still being in it. You know as much as I say about the vibes and the will of Auburn to stay in that game i mean what what does it say about Georgia? a team that can't convert on third down, a team that cannot throw the ball? Here they are if they were to if Auburn were to click together on one more possession, it could have been an overtime win and then you look at South Carolina, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but it's not like they just went crazy on offense against Georgia, so Georgia is struggling to separate themselves from their competition they're not looking dominant that's why
2: right now michigan is the number one team in the country now to be the man you have to beat the man and nobody has beat the man that's why you still see georgia at number one and it's not going to get any easier for georgia and the bulldogs as kentucky coming off that absolute thumping of the florida gators what is coach stoops doing over there that Again, he says, look, my, my state can pound beers at 11 o'clock in the morning and catch the Gators slipping. Well, that's what they absolutely did. They put a whooping on the Florida Gators. And now Georgia, you're looking at Georgia and Kentucky playing one another. Again, I love we, – we looked at the cream puff schedule that Georgia had on paper. Well, no easy win against South Carolina. No easy win against Auburn struggled against UAB so now the cream puff schedule stuff's out the door they've already played almost half of their schedule now and I know we have a caller calling into the final drive caller welcome to the final drive this afternoon
1: hey Cole what's up man hey so yeah I think like just talking about the schedule I think the west is right now man it's, it's wide open I think with LSU lost to Ole Miss, I think everything's up in the air. I think Alabama still got a good chance to win the West. thing, get at least some decent, consistent play. But the biggest point I want to make, man, I keep saying this every year, and some of you guys I are mean, have not saying YouTube, but you will get this pushback to the I don't know if you watched that LSU-Ole Miss game. I'm not even a fan of either one. That was some of the most atrocious misses at huge points in game and it almost cost Ole Miss that game. You know, you'll sit, everybody sits here and talks about how great Greg Sankey is. And I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me what Greg Sankey did that makes him so good. Like, when you can pay school $44 million a year, but your officials are that that that's criminal. These kids deserve better. The fans deserve better. The ticket prices and this, the amount these hotel rooms to watch that, that garbage officiating, numerous call after numerous, that... That touchdown they gave LSU, I don't know who was watching that or what glasses they were watching. Like, how do you miss that call that bad? And there was this numerous calls, and the SEC is consistently, whether it's basketball, football, has these horrid officials. And I know Dean way gets on there, man. I got my opinion about him, and I ain't going to say it on the air. But, man, these officials just suck. I mean – where do they get these officials from? I was telling you full time officials pay them a full time salary. You get better because what you have now is you have a bunch of guys in their sixties that are retired or lawyers or doctors that don't need the money They just want to continue their athletic career to think they're make feel, make themselves feel better they can fit you know travel on these schedules and they're terrible i mean absolutely awful and i was i mean I felt terrible the Ole Miss that have lost that game
2: it was a big time win for the Ole Miss Rebels and Lane Kiffin over LSU and there were a lot of great football games that were played not only in college in the NFL as well but as far as from an official standpoint whether they're full time or not you're still going to have to boil down to the human element yeah. we're all humans we're all gonna make mistakes. I don't care if you have a million dollar job, right? You're gonna make mistakes on that job that are ultimately going to cost you at some point in time. So I, I don't I don't really I don't pile on officials. I hate when they have tools to get it correct. I, I hate when they have tools to get it correct and don't get it correct. That's the only thing that I don't like.
3: You know, I feel like social media really will blow up a bad call or the refs. But I would say, honestly, up to this point in the season, I haven't really heard much of that. Well, I haven't heard too much of, like, thing. you know, I, refs being bad or a game being blown because of the ref. Now, but, and you know, all that being said, then you got last night, right, with the sauce gardener and the hold. And I don't necessarily know. I think you might be talking about that last LSU element. touchdown,
2: but. Yes, I mean, it's the human element that, you you never want officials to decide or dictate a game. I don't care what level that's at, whether it's Pee Wee park ball, whether it's middle school, whether it's high school, college, professional, you never want to be the deciding factor in the game. And sometimes, that, unfortunately, that is the case. Now, like you said, luckily, Ole Miss did find a way to win it. And I know that that's huge, but Appreciate you calling, Patrick, to the final drive. You can reach us, 251-694-1055, or you can get at us in the app. We love to correspond with you in the app, the free Sound of Mobile app that you can download in any Apple or Android device you may have. We'll be right back here on the final drive talking a little bit of the Alabama Crimson Tide with Tony Sakalis. <laughs>
5: Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney, and you're listening
3: to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. And, look, we discussed college, Auburn, and that tough loss to Georgia. We're about to talk some Alabama with Tony Sukalas like we do every Monday. But let's talk a little NFL. Guys, I know you like to hate on me because I'm a Falcons fan. And, yes, you know, speaking of the Toy Story broadcast, I I wanted to be like Sid and and strap that Desmond Ritter doll to a rocket and send it to the moon. I'm done with him, man. I'm done with him. But (laughs) Ah. the Saints, they didn't have much better of a Sunday than we did.
2: Well, my Dolphins needed to save some of those 70 for this week. So I, I told you, save some of that 70 for the following week. The Buffalo Bills handled their business, but the Saints, I, I just don't know. I know we'll have Mike Haas on the voice of the New Orleans Saints right around five thirty or so, and he was there. He induced McAllister both, and listening to their broadcast of the Saints, pretty frustrated. A lot of Saints fans are. Those brown bags have been coming out, but I know that Derek Carr. I, you know you threw 33 34 passes however many it was um, on a bum shoulder on a on a nicked up shoulder now kudos to him for going out there and fighting when
3: he says don't blame the shoulder warrior. he says don't blame the shoulder for the lack of execution was what he said
2: but you do have to be able to run the football and with the addition of Alvin Kamara you know you you should have had a lot more explosiveness yeah. and pop to your offense than what it is. Well, and you would have hoped
3: because the New Orleans Saints offense has been mid for a little bit now, really since Breeze left. But the defense has stayed stout. They've always had one of the best defenses. And Baker Mayfield and the Bucks are they kind of look like they were doing whatever they wanted out there. And that was without Mike Evans for some of that game. Um, Saints fans, remember when I brought up a little while back Is Baker Mayfield the best quarterback in the NFC South? And everyone said I was being Stephen A. Smith and that I was crazy. He still is
2: the best quarterback.
3: He's thrown for eight touchdowns, only two
2: picks. He's looking pretty good. Pretty good. Who looks good after an Alabama win is Tony Mm Sakalis. Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated, will join us next to talk about the new Nick Saban. Is there a new Nick Saban? We'll find out and ask Tony next here on the Final Drive.
6: This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNFC 105.5.
2: to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Let It Marinate Monday. And we want to hear from you, 251-694-1055, or we want to hear from you in the free Sound of Mobile app that you can download to any Android or Apple device that you may have. In our first 30 minutes here of the show, we've talked about Auburn. And was it a moral victory? Was it not a moral victory? Brock Bowers being the most dominant college football player today. Also, the Saints are looking more like the Aints as they get ready to take on the New England Patriots and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Go ahead and take care of business against Mississippi State, 40-17 to 17 winners. And we always love to talk to the managing editor for Tide Illustrated, Tony Sakalis. Tony, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive.
7: Hey, how's it going?
2: It's going great, brother. It, it was going even better for Alabama in the first quarter of action. I could not believe what my eyes were telling me. Run, 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 and run. No passes attempted by Milrow, but you take what the defense gives you, I guess. And the Alabama Crimson Tide was able to crank out some rushing yards. It was kind of
7: funny. I think, you know, you know, Corey. I think that they ran the ball because I cannot get a single prediction right in my pregame predictions. And I guessed that Jalen Miller was going to throw for 300 yards because I saw Jaden Daniels and Spencer Rattler just tear apart this Mississippi State secondary. And I figured, oh, well, Miller is going to do the same thing. Well, then they go and they don't throw the ball in the first quarter. But, um, yeah, you're right. You take what you know, uh, what the defense gives you. I mean, this Mississippi State secondary is not very good, but they weren't stopping the run either. So, I mean, you know, it's always the simplest route is if you if you can run the ball, that's the easiest way to yardage. Um, so I think that uh, it was working for Alabama early. And then late, I think Mississippi State kind of stopped a little bit of the run. But, you know, at that point, Alabama just needed the milk down the clock. So um, overall, really positive day. And then the defense looked really good as well.
2: Well, when you look at that second series, Miro, we knew he has the burners. We knew he had the Jets, took what the defense gave him and really showed that what we've known him been able to do, which is rush that football. And then you do have an opportunity for the defense to step up. And Braswell shows, look, I can shake off defenders at any point in time, made sure he was going to make that house call to the doghouse.
5: Yeah, the first non-offensive touchdown of the
7: season, so it's good for Alabama to to get one of those on the board. They they came kind of close with a, a you know a blocked punt um, against Ole Miss, but then they ended up only getting a field goal out of that. But yeah, uh, I think that this defense is an elite defense It's starting to play like an elite defense. And um, look, you know they're already only one interception off now of last year's total, and we're you know heading into Week Six, so that's uh That's that's a pretty good sign as well. They're they're turning the ball over. They're they're getting the other team to turn the ball over, and once they can start scoring points on it, like you know, like they have in the past, I think this could be even more deadly.
2: Well, what is even more deadly is Miss Terry telling Coach Saban, "Hey, when they mess up, you go ahead and you get in their butt." And she, whatever words of wisdom she gave him, he adhered to because we saw Nick Saban in a rage unlike we've seen this entire season. Yeah, and the funny
7: thing was uh, Miss Terry wasn't at the game. I think today Nick Saban said that this is the first game that she's missed. Um, You know, she waited up for Nick Saban, though, and she gave him, you know, an an assessment after the game. But, um, yeah, I think it's great to see Nick Saban fired up on the sideline. That's kind of like what we know him as. And, you know, I think Alderman needed that bit of spark from him. And then also – It shows that they, you know, he's an older guy, but it shows he still has that that fire in him. um, And he hasn't really lost a step. I think some people were, you know, whenever you see him maybe not get as fired up, I think the natural inclination is to kind of question whether or not, oh, is he slowing down? You know, he's old. Uh, Well, turns out he's just as fired up as ever. um, And he's, you know, uh, he's still got that angry switch to him. So uh, he's been, I would say, in a happier mood. I, I know, it's, you know, I, I know he's given the, the media a hard time and, like, he's, you know, faced some criticism for that. And I, I personally think sometimes, you know, he he takes it to a point where it's like he doesn't need to, to be as contrary to the media as he is. Uh, but at the same time, he's also had a little bit of fun with the media seems to be in a good mood lately. Um, You know, a reporter today dropped their phone within asking him a question, and he kind of gave the reporter, the younger reporter, kind of gave him a hard time about, you know, what are you going to do without your phone kind of thing. So he's having a little bit of fun with reporters. It seems like he's having a little bit of fun just, you know, uh, in in terms of being a coach, and he still hasn't lost that fire on the sidelines. So uh, those are all good signs to me in, in terms of where he's at mentally and you know, how that will kind of trickle down to the team.
2: Things that need to trickle down to the team are the fact that you mentioned in your pregame predictions for Mississippi State being able to go vertical and attack this secondary of Mississippi State. Well, you put this one in the rearview mirror and you do see the fact that Texas A&M, I, I just don't think they're going to allow Jalen Milro to beat them with his feet. And I think that either the O-line is going to have to create or part holes for the running backs and or you're going to have to hit those wide receivers on those intermediate or deep shot routes.
7: So the good thing, I'll start off with the good thing for Jalen Miller at first is he was four for four in intermediate passes. I wrote about that this morning. That's important because that's something that he's really struggled with. He's been able to hit on the deep ball where he just kind of lets it fly, and then he's been able to hit on some of those short passes. But when it comes to the intermediate throws, which are generally the toughest throws, I mean, those are the throws where the defense is, you know, you're throwing between the defense at that point. You you know, you're not throwing it just past them and making your receivers uh, make plays. Um, he was 4 for 4 for 82 yards in those passes, which is a big improvement from what he had been. He had been one of the SEC's worst passers in those. And so he was able to do that. Now, he did it against a Mississippi State secondary that just hasn't been up to par this season. So, I mean, there is that. And then the down, the other downside is he took a little bit too long on some of his throws. I mean, that's what resulted in the fact. You know, the four sacks from Mississippi State, I would say, are almost all on Jalen Milrow for, for holding the ball as long as he did. I don't necessarily think this is a case of you know, the, the South Florida game, or some of the other times, maybe even Texas at times where, um, you know, he didn't have a lot of time to throw. He had time to throw in these games and he held onto the ball a little bit too long. Um, on the plus side, it worked a few times and, and, you know, he was really able to go through his progressions. And you can see it, you know, in my report, I have the the gifs and the video it's kind of like a film review and you can kind of see where he's looking at different receivers and he's going through his progressions and he's finding people and he's making good decisions about maybe being a little bit more patient and not just tucking and running and finding a, a play that can result in a 27 to 30 yard gain rather than a five to six yard gain and that, that's that's a positive he's going to have less time to do that against this Texas a and Defensive line. He's not going to have the luxury of just being able to wait. Like you said, they're, they're going to probably do a good job of trying to limit what he can do with his feet, but they're also going to get in his face and they're going to get back there. Um, Mississippi State, you know, they sent a lot of guys to spy on Jalen Morrow. So sometimes even two people or one person to, to kind of guard against the flats uh, with the running back and another one to spy Morrow. And a lot of their splitting was only three man a three-man rush, and they don't have the defensive line that Texas A&M has. So if Mississippi State goes to a three-man rush, it's kind of different than maybe if Texas A&M was to do that. Um, but Texas A&M could also bring more people as well. And I think that's going to force Jalen Miller to make you know, good decisions a lot quicker than he was. I think he's making good decisions, and that's a positive. But it's a lot harder to do when you have somebody breathing down your neck, and that's what he's going to probably have against. Uh, Texas a and it's going to be just as hostile of an environment. They don't have cowbells but, you know, they have a 100,000 screaming uh, Agg- Aggie fans. And that's, you know, it can be almost just as loud. So um, it'll be interesting for sure.
3: We're talking with Tony Sucall of Tide Illustrated. Up to this point Alabama's defense has been able to hide the inefficiencies of the offense. Then here at Mississippi State they're able to force a bunch of turnovers. And we see how dominant of a win they can get when the offense doesn't make mistakes. Do you think that this blueprint and the way that the team performed if they can keep it up, this could potentially get them back into that playoff hunt and potentially still be able to compete for that national championship?
7: Yeah, I don't you know, it's not going to look sexy, but if I don't care if Jalen Murrow doesn't throw for 200 yards for the rest of the season, if he can do this where he can preach, you know, of his passes and, you know, can can hit on a few big plays and then make plays with his feet and just not turn the ball over, that's a recipe for success. That's that's what I've been saying is they don't necessarily need elite play from the quarterback position. They just need kind of a – it's kind of hard. Jalen Milrow can be a game manager at the quarterback position and still use his feet. He can be more of a, you know, scrambling type of game manager where – You know, you can use his athleticism and he can still have a big play threat, but you know, he's not going to be throwing the ball, you know, 30, 40 times like they did with, uh, with Bryce young. I think it could be somewhat of a blueprint. The thing is, like I said, they're still going to need plenty of improvement from Jalen Murrow because he's not going to be able to do exactly what he did against Mississippi state in terms of how long it took some of those plays to develop. Now, You know, when you look at just the good plays, and that's what I did in my report. You see, like where it could work, but he did have the four sacks, and you know, so if he's able to kind of speed things up a bit and and have the same success that he did against Mississippi State, against Texas A&M, and and keep those numbers, even if those numbers stay the same, I think that those numbers are good enough for Alabama to win. But it is going to be a lot more difficult to get those numbers against the defenses we'll see you know next week and then you know later on down the line
2: i think it's critical though when you don't have that signal caller that alpha dog like a deontay lawson to step in that the next man up which is what Nick Saban always preaches, any coach really preaches that, to be ready. Jihad Campbell did a phenomenal job leading the Crimson Tide in tackles, 14 total tackles, one talk tackle for loss. And you'd look at freshman Caleb Downs coming in, SEC Freshman of the Week, getting it done with 13 total tackles. So when you do lose a great player like Lawson, it is good to see the defense step right on up, the next man up.
7: And both of those players that you mentioned both tallied their first career interception, too. Um, and that was big. You know, especially, I, I thought Jahad Campbell, you know, that, that, those are those killer turnovers right before the half where, you know, they got Alabama a free touchdown where they wouldn't have had it before. You know, I, I think he intercepted it with, what, like something like 50 seconds before the half, gave Alabama the ball at, you know, the Mississippi State 30, and they, they scored a touchdown. And that, those plays, especially if you can get those kind of plays in close games, like the Texas A&M game, um, th- those are killer for your momentum, you know, for, for, you know, nothing hurts a team more than, you know, it doesn't matter if th- th- that team has the lead and they lose their momentum on a play like that or if you're already beating a team like, like Alabama was against Mississippi State and then you get that last, like, it's kind of like get, getting one last, you know, blow to the head in a boxing match right before the bell rings, you know. It's like you, you think that you're out on the clear and you can recover and lick your wounds again and you get hit with that, you know, unexpected punch, those can be just damaging to the psyche and just, those are the kind of plays that just really break a team's will. Um, and so really a lot of credit to Jihad Campbell for coming up with that interception and really kind of doing that. They're, they're going to need more plays like that. You know, um, not having Deontay Lawson, um, which I, I don't think they will have him. Uh, I don't think that's like Nick Saban hasn't come out and definitely said that, but you know, from what we're hearing, it doesn't sound like they're going to have him, at least for this the Texas A&M game. Uh, so they're, they're, that's going to be key. They're going to need their younger guys to step up. But look, you look at a Jihad Campbell, like a five star kid. They're just now moving uh, a five star kid from last year, and Jeremiah Alexander to inside linebacker. And that seems like that even could be a permanent move for the future. Uh, so <laughs> Alabama has a lot of talent and a lot of depth. So, you know, losing a guy like Lawson could be killer for a lot of teams. For Alabama, it's going to sting, but they definitely have people there that they can come up and answer the call like, like we saw Jahan Campbell do.
2: Well, I will say this, too. From a passing standpoint, I thought we had found an emerging superstar in Jalen Hill a week ago, and and now you're looking at Nye Black doing his thing. Benson decides to – Malik Benson decides to show up for the Crimson Tide from a receiving standpoint. We know the tight ends – are very versatile and always dangerous but I'm still waiting for that vertical shot to Jacory Brooks or Malik Benson and the continued use of tight ends next week versus A&M.
7: And I think one of the things I mentioned in my story about, you know, Melrose intermediate passes is two of those, two of those four came uh to or were to uh, Amari black, and just the mismatch he creates across the middle as a tight end in you know a receiver really a receiver, sorry, in a tight end body. He's very much, and I'm, it's not a fair comparison, I'm not saying they're the same player, but he's very much kind of like a, a Julio Jones-type guy in terms of just the, the amount of speed slash also just size and strength he brings to the position. i I'm not even trying to say he's even close to being what Julio was but or is, but, you know, uh, I think that um, – that that adds an element where you know you've got some of these smaller, fast receivers, but having a guy that you know if you need to make a play over the middle, I like Amari Niblock's chances against the linebacker so I think he can blow past them, and I like him against the slot corner because I think he can just muscle So um, that's going to really help out uh, Jalen Noro as he looks to kind of get better at picking apart defenses and not just you know hitting them deep or, or doing short passes. So he's that's. If you were ranking Alabama's most important players, I think you'd probably at this point put Amari in the Black up there high on the list of like what they need and the importance that he – and the, the, the versatility he brings to the unit is, is big.
2: Tony, how can people follow your tremendous coverage, your breakdowns, pregame, postgame of the Alabama Crimson Tide on a daily basis?
7: Yeah, the site's tideillustrated.com, or you can go to alabama.rivals.com. You can follow us at Tide Illustrated or you can follow me personally at Tony underscore as well.
2: Can't thank you enough for taking time with us today. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
5: Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen and you're listening to WNSP Mobile.
3: Welcome back to the final drive and today is actually media days in the NBA Damian Lillard finally getting some pics with Giannis. He said I've never taken a picture like this before So you like you gotta be happy for Dame Lillard Jimmy Butler comes in with his new look last year. He had the super long hair now. He's rocking the the uh, panic at the <laughs> disco the emo cut He's got the lip ring in Gosh, he is a character, man. Bam Adebayo said he couldn't even look at him during their picture together, their group picture. <laughs> he said, "This laughing. is, <laughs> He said, this is my Halloween. Uh, and then in real big NBA news, you know, we talk about Drew Holiday being part of that big deal to get Dame to Milwaukee. Well, Drew Holiday has now been traded to the Boston Celtics. We knew that he was going to get traded away from Portland. And uh, what do they get back? They actually get a pretty good bit back. They get Robert Williams back. Malcolm Brogdon they get two first round picks all for Drew Holiday so I guess what this really is is just that Portland owner being strong not caving into Miami look how many picks and how much young elite talent he's been able to get out of just staying true and knowing that at the end of the day Dame loves basketball and he's gonna go hoop as long as it's at a good spot it didn't have to just be Miami that's right. And
2: there's your NBA portion That's right. of today's <laughs> show. College you football, turn, college yeah. football, and college football. Don't turn away. There, Don't there turn you away. go. That that, that 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 we just wanted to give you that t- updated dose, right? That's right. right. There. We'll talk
3: about it again next month.
2: There you go. <laughs> Hour number two of the final drive coming up here on WNSP
0: 105.5. The Sound of Mobile presents for the win. The final drive. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh my. Gracious! Here. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins, For the win! live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh!
2: Unbelievable! Welcome to hour number two of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. It's a let it marinate Monday edition of the Final Drive and. Love to hear from you. 251-694-1055 is how you can call us and reach us the old-fashioned way. Or you can correspond with us in the app. That's a free Sound of Mobile app that you can download to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And Auburn fans, Hugh Freeze will be in Mobile, Alabama tonight. As a matter of fact, during the next hour, I'll be heading downtown to Moe's Barbecue to go ahead and get our interview process started with Hugh Freeze and get his thoughts on the first few games of the season for the Auburn Tigers. But Auburn fans, were you pleased with what you saw out of your offense, even though Peyton Thorne didn't throw 400 yards? Robbie Ashford came in and did some great things. But what will it take for Auburn to go ahead and take it to that next level? Because with them being off this week, they get plenty of time to prepare for LSU. Now, LSU coming off... Game of the year? uh, No, I wouldn't say the game of the year. I would say one of the best offensive performances of the year. Because to me, I thought that when you do storm the field as fans... I will I will touch on this, Nick. You come onto the, the playing field, storming the field. LSU's player knocked the hell out of one of Ole Miss fans. Yeah. After he was cussing and fussing behind him. And I, I think he was doing the right thing. I would have, too. And then you had that drunk Ole Miss fan who decided to climb up on the goalpost mm-hmm. and tried to do a somersault off the goalpost. And out of everybody there – he winds up getting arrested. And then you have the security guard yeah. who was trying to take out fans who were storming the he field. got one girl pretty good. Got her with the forearm <laughs> shiver. Her, got caught her, her slipping. Yeah. And she was looking all dazed. But I don't know. Lane Kiffin may want to look into signing him to be an offensive lineman yeah. or what yeah. have not. But Eventually. no, there was. it was a, a great weekend of college football. Now, I, the game that I watched and was really intrigued on was Riley Leonard and making his debut versus the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And you go down and and it's 21 to 14 and Riley's driving down the field, trying to make that comeback. And that's the worst thing that could have happened to, to our fair hopes finest is having a high ankle sprain. And I'm glad it wasn't worse than that, but what class by Notre Dame's quarterback Hartman to wait on Riley Leonard to come out of the tent after the game was over to check on him to see
3: how he was doing. Even in the post-game interview when they were trying to talk to Sam Hartman, he was like, I'm just really concerned about Riley Leonard. I want to go check on him. It's like, okay, dude, those are your priorities, man. Like, That's good on him. And Yeah, you hate to see that for Riley. They had the – a lot of these games, uh, this year especially, they've really got the mom cams set up where they'll pick one player and just – Go to their parent every time, and they were really wearing out the Riley Leonard mom cam. But she was really into the game, and you hate to see that happen, especially when it's a guy that we all know from around here. And not even just because he's from around here; everyone you talk to will straight up just tell you he's one of the best people you'll ever meet, nicest guy, humblest he is. guy. So
2: when when things like that happen to a guy like that, it stinks. And they took Notre Dame down to the wire. I, I, it was. I know that they would have had a couple plays. That's one of those games. Two or three plays is the difference in yep. that game. And Notre Dame finds a way to stay alive against Duke. And Auburn finds a way to lose to Georgia. No, I would say they found a way to somehow stay in the game. They should have been losing. I don't know about – at Jordan-Hare Stadium, it's the same thing when Alabama in a few weeks – in November, goes to Jordan-Hare for the Iron Bowl. There, there, To me, there is no favorite in that situation. You can't say that Alabama is going to be the favorite because Auburn plays out of their mind at Jordan-Hare Stadium at times. And they were just on another planet in that first quarter, Yeah, 10-0. to zero, And Brock Bowers said, all right, I didn't do anything in the first, second, or third quarter. But I sure am going to show you who the best player in college football is in the second half. And that's what he was able to do. And I, that's why I think he should be the front runner for the Heisman.
3: I won't go that
2: far. He's I already Bro- won the best tight end last year. Yeah, award, winning the so best tight end and winning Heisman's
3: really different. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end and one of the best receiving options in the NFL. He will never, ever win an MVP. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't there's say There's no that. way. I wouldn't it, say that. If if the the year where Travis Kelsey's supposed to win the MVP, it'll go to Patrick Mahomes.
2: I will say this. There, there's not another better college football player than Brock Bowers. I there's just Caleb, not another better
3: college football player. I think Caleb Williams is better. There's a reason that look, people don't really tank in the NFL, but there's there's murmurings and and whispers of teams wanting to tank to be able to get this type of quarterback prospect he can be on his back foot rolling left and he'll just sling it and it and it's just on the money every time now i'm not saying maybe it's a huge difference but listen
2: every nfl team nick listen okay. people yep, listen yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> listen he doesn't have the football in his possession every single play correct now because of that You still can't stop him. If Caleb Williams, you're looking at a quarterback who would be sacked or never be sacked because you know exactly where the play is going. Oh, he'll throw touchdowns every single play. He is, the as of right now, through the first four weeks of college football, Brock Bowers no. is that guy. No. He's that I, dude. I don't see how you can knock Caleb
3: Williams for having the ball more. If anything that should not be a bonus. Not knocking him.
2: Not knocking him, but again, if he's got the court, qu- if he's got it every single time, put up 500 600 yards a game. He does. No, he does not. <laughs> he almost <laughs> does. 400 yards, 6 touchdowns. Let, let me ask you this. The six-down touch he's the only, re- he's the only reason they beat
3: my Buffaloes.
2: It w- my was very Buffaloes. impressive. But as far as USC getting caught looking at the scoreboard and saying, look, we, we're going to go ahead and coast and got instead of keeping the gas pedal applied, that's exactly what happened. Didn't keep the gas pedal applied. Well, and imagine Kayla if Williams, they did,
3: though. He'd have thrown 10 touchdowns.
2: He put up magical numbers, and that's on him. That's his job to do that. Right. And he didn't do it. I just don't think it's. Keep pressure applied. Brock Bowers kept applying pressure. Yes. Everybody, even the people in the cheap seats at Jordan Harris Stadium knew exactly where Georgia was gonna go. Right. And Auburn couldn't stop it. Yeah, but I
3: just like I think the point you you keep coming back to is that Caleb Williams has the ball more. Yep. Like let's say this, look. I I'm a great cook. I'm a great cook. And I but I only cook once a week, right? but it's one of the best meals you'll ever eat. Then you got another guy who's a great cook, but he cooks dinner every and night and even lunch more every of a
2: night. No, you give it to Brock because no. he, he doesn't have it as no, much. you give it to you the other guy cuz you're like, listen, "Man, you're really out here cooking, that man." You eat five-star meal every day, you're going to become it's going to become tasteless and bland. <laughs> no, no. It's going to become tasteless and bland. There's nothing bland about what Brock Bowers is doing. The type of crazy numbers he's put up the man put up 148 yards in the second half alone a Receiving, lot of, a lot of wide receivers do that a lot of wide they receivers do do that i don't have the numbers against auburn's how, defense auburn has one of the best defenses in the country and you and and, and they couldn't stop good. Them. their defense
3: is good i don't know look i'm not i feel like it's coming in i like i think he's great I think that he's great, but he's not
2: Caleb Williams. So, head-to-head, head, you had <laughs> head to head, Shadur. Like lining up against each no, other. No, you had, Shadur, Brock. you had Shadur. <laughs> oh, okay. And you had Caleb. Yeah. And Caleb knew, look, Bo Nix already had his time against the Buffaloes. Now it's my time to shine. And he absolutely, in that first half, first three quarters, Boy, those lights were shining very bright right. for USC, and that's what you love to see coming from a quarterback that has the abilities and is definitely the reigning Heisman Heisman Trophy winner. And and it, and he will he will have an opportunity to defend that. And some people don't have an opportunity to defend that because thirty out of forty for four hundred three and six touchdowns and only having that one bad throw. Nothing too shabby about that day at the office there, and Shadur still has to have some growth in regards to needing some offensive line and needing to – you see when Shadur scored those points because you look here at halftime, it's 34-14, to 14. Right. and you're like, wow, okay, this game is going to be over. And oh, then no, all no. of a sudden your Buffaloes decided to go ahead and show up. But, you know, your Buffaloes are easily 3-2 and two now, and that's – Two more wins than they had it. last year. We
3: expect it to be a 3-2 at this point. You're, you're expected to drop it to Oregon and drop one to USC. But I'll say this. Did the way Colorado performed against a USC, does that have you slightly maybe changing your beliefs? No. Do you believe a little bit no. now?
2: No, I don't. I, I believe that they will beat Arizona State. I believe that they'll beat a 1-4 Arizona State. Yeah, I do believe I that. I hope so. And they'll get to the four wins. And I believe they'll beat a 1-4 Stanford. So, there so you know they're going to go to a bowl win. game, right? Yeah, I mean, six
3: wins is what it takes. So I would say that you're your warming up to the belief. No. You're believing a little bit. Because I feel like at the beginning of the year, you were saying they're going to win two games, three no. games.
2: No. I, a, I, g- believing that they're going to play in a bowl game means you're believing a little bit more. I, I will say this at the beginning of the year, I believe that they would be a three win team and they've already hit that. Right. So I believe that they've hit their plateau for me. Now, anything over what Deion Sanders is able to accomplish, I do believe you, I, I do believe that prime is right about this. You better get them now because later on here within the next couple of years, you, you're not, you're not going to be able to get at them. but, You know, keeping football the main thing has to be the main thing. Sure. And for Colorado, to me, you're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids who are around Hollywood and musical superstars to where now football doesn't become the main thing likes and clicks nah, uh, coach nah. coach dan called him out at the door you listening too much the he called People, him out man. he called him out look okay how about this what's a
3: bigger moral victory quote unquote if they're real auburn losing to georgia or colorado losing to usc in the in the fashions that both these
2: teams lost a, a bigger moral victory is for auburn because they wow. were able – listen, Colorado has been consistent offensively, just haven't been consistent defensively. Yeah, but Auburn they, has been inconsistent offensively and put 10 first-quarter points yeah, on but the they're, national champion, back-to-back back national champion, Georgia Bulldogs.
3: Their offense still is inconsistent. That game, as close as it was, they still couldn't throw the ball. They got just some random giant runs from their quarterbacks – but then you look at Colorado, everyone's saying, Oh, see, Oregon humbled y'all. Y'all can't beat real a real team. Y'all can't even stay in the game with a real team. Then here comes USC and they're right
2: there in it toward all the way till the end. You get caught scoreboard watching. And that's why I you know, USC winning the Pac twelve, nope, not even gonna happen for that situation. But when you do get caught scoreboard watching, to me, Auburn proved more to me on Saturday than they have all season long. If they would have gone ahead and taken care of business offensively the way that they did against Georgia, then Auburn would have put itself in a much closer situation not to lose by double digits to Texas A&M. Now, Alabama, now you're really going to be able to see the comparison because Auburn has played Texas A&M in Texas A&M at College Station. Alabama's getting a chance to go down there and show what they're made out of on the road with Jalen Milrow. We've seen what happens when you you have an inept offense against Texas A&M because they they look pretty good against Arkansas. That was a very good win that they had against Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks, double digits, 34-22. to 22. Texas A&M is an explosive type of offense with a backup quarterback. And that's what kind of blows my mind to where when you do have Max Johnson coming in for Weidman, I think that no one expected Johnson to put up the type of numbers that he has, Sure, but Alabama's going to have to get home to him and pressure him to give themselves an opportunity to go ahead and win because you, you remember what happened the last time Alabama went to Texas a and right? Yeah, it would, I'll, give they, you, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. Okay. Jimbo Fisher left there with a huge Kool-Aid smile yeah. on his face. Right. And it, it eventually resulted in Alabama still having a chance down the stretch to appear in the college football playoffs, right? But right. you definitely don't want to. The West, I thought that Texas A&M would be in trouble when their starting quarterback goes out with a season-ending foot injury. And now LSU loses all of a sudden because a lot of people said LSU is the best team in the West. Well, you mentioned earlier about parity. Who's the best team in the West? Is it Alabama? Is it Texas A&M? Is it LSU? LSU loses to Ole Miss. So wh- what is it going to be?
3: I don't know if there is a best one. It changes week to week, I think. I mean, that there's so much parity that. Any team can beat any other team on any given Saturday. It's the place we're at in college football today, which I appreciate. I hate when – that's one of the things I like about NFL. Any team can beat any NFL team. They're all professionals. You got a cap where you got to hit it so everyone's getting paid, you know, about the same based off an entire roster. Any team can beat any team. In college, for the longest time, you always knew who was going to win every game just about, and there would be those, you know, maybe three games on each team's schedule where, all right, this one we got to really focus up on. Now it, it can go either way. So I personally enjoy that as just being a fan of chaos, but I can understand how, you know, the Alabama fans and the Georgia fans might not like how uh, down to the wire so many games
2: are getting to. Well, I would know this, Texas A&M, Anaya Smith, I do believe is his name, you're going to have to find a way to to stop him. Because if you don't stop him, you're toast. And he has the ability to beat you on special teams. He has the ability to beat you non-special teams running the football. So Alabama has its hands full and are going to have to really rattle their quarterback. And if they don't rattle Johnson, then it's going to be, one of those long days to where Alabama fans are going to be sitting on the edge of their seats the entire four quarters, and we'll have another game that's going to boil down the special teams to where A&M puts itself in a position to kick another game-winning yeah. field goal to beat Alabama and knock them off again. And that's pro- that's pro-
3: looking like how it's going to go. Before we go to break here, I just want to kind of run through the app. And, you know, our listeners, we love seeing your comments. This guy says, I agree, Corey. Brock is the best and should win the Heisman. This guy, this guy right here, he's my Dr. Evil to my Austin Powers. Nick hypes up whatever ESPN is doing for the week. Caleb Williams ain't Brock. This guy says Bowers won't even be in New York. This guy says Sanders is better than Williams, but he just doesn't have an offensive line. This guy says that me saying that <laughs> Colorado is expected to be 3-2 and two makes me a clown. Uh... All this trash, you talk about winning, and you want to say you expected it. What kind of Jimbo Fisher double-take nonsense is that? Grow some nuts, stand up behind saying they'll win, I believe. I said that I believe they could beat Oregon. I said they would cover. And, I, and then I said they will cover against USC, and they could win. Look, I didn't say Colorado's going to go 12-0. and 0. That would make me look really crazy,
2: right? Well, I I know this, Nick that the people in the app, you know, winning the Heisman equates to taking the homecoming queen to the dance means absolutely nothing five minutes after it's over? It, it, it can. No, it, you it, can cast those appearances the yeah, rest of your can, life. It can propel, <laughs> yeah, it can you know propel you to another stratosphere <laughs> <Those speaking> financially. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't say that it takes five minutes after it's over for people to forget, but even though Bowers – Someone throws out numbers here. He's the 31st in receiving yards. That won't even get him in the conversation. Well, I got news for you. Brock Bowers was the talk of college football on Sunday morning, period. He was the talk of primetime college football Saturday night. Brock Bowers was everywhere on everyone's tweet. And all it takes is a media push. Why do you think Bo Nix is on billboards in New York? because of the media hype that goes into creating well, a Heisman one, trophy one, winner one of our you
3: know app users says Brock Bowers is 31st in receiving yards so i think i get it like the way that the game went that was all Bowers you got to give him his props but i think when it comes to the Heisman trophy and getting those voters cuz let's be honest not every voter is watching every Georgia down you know, MVP voters and all these things, a lot of people are looking at the box score and they're looking at that stat line. So, whenever you have a Caleb Williams who has so many more touchdowns, so many more yards, it's just hard for Bowers to compete with that. Don't
2: you agree? No, because like, why of the is media all- push, because of the media push, and because of the narrative oh. that the media is able to go ahead
3: and spearhead all right well look who who was the last heisman trophy winner that wasn't a quarterback it was Devonte smith right wide receiver how many yards did he have
2: that year oh it, it was ridiculous it was that's, probably over a 1300
3: that's what maybe I'm saying it, it takes that for someone not a quarterback i mean look at the nfl when was the last time an mvp wasn't a quarterback i think that cooper cup should have been the MVP that year that he broke all those records and they went to the Super Bowl. That should have been the year a wide receiver won MVP, but I'm pretty sure it went to either Mahomes or Rodgers. It just always goes to a quarterback because they have so much control over the game, and it takes a -a once-in-a-lifetime type of season for it to ever go to a different position.
2: Well, I know if Brock Bowers continues to put up the type of numbers he did against Auburn in the second half consistently – six catches for 148 yards and a touchdown in the second half alone Wind up having eight catches for 157 he showed that he was the best football player on the field that's correct uh, uh, against a great auburn defense who had held him in check in the first half right. but when georgia needed him when carson beck needed him he was there he delivered and that's what any heisman trophy winner that's right well, has done and will do.
3: Most games he's going to play in, he's going to be the best guy on the field out of both rosters. So and, that and, I, I'll get with you with.
2: And, and that's what we're definitely seeing. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
4: Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP sports.
3: Welcome back to the final drive. Good weekend of football overall. Some great games in the NFL. There were actually a good bit of blowouts. I think there were a good bit of blowouts last week as well. But the day started early for me. At least 8:30 a.m. There I am on Disney Plus. You know, because I don't have ESPN Plus. So I'm like, okay, let's see what this. I guess we're watching Toy Story. I watched maybe three minutes of it and then I went ahead and uh <laughs> subscribed to ESPN plus because I just the pauses were awkward now I, w- I started it at the very beginning so maybe they were kind of getting the kinks out as it went along I saw some of the highlights like the Bijan juke where he crossed up whoever that was And they actually recreated it perfectly in real time in that Toy Story version. But it was all the the commentary and the, you know, bullseye coming around on that ball between, you know, every play. And you could tell the commentators didn't even know what to say after, like, the fifth time he came out. Like, oh, there's bullseye again. (laughs) I just thought it was – it came off to me as very unfinished.
2: I I, – Don't know about being unfinished. I will say the joy that it probably brought to a lot of children and those who love cartoons. Uh uh, Because one of the positive things that I did see about it was there was this autistic young child Mm -hmm. who a father would never be able to take that child to a football game to enjoy. So that father-son bond that they would normally be able to enjoy. His son could care less about a football game on regular television. But as soon as his son, who was autistic, saw the Toy Story edition of football, locked in. now he's locked in, and it's a way for the father and son to enjoy football together. Right. So Well, now I feel like an ass. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nick, that's just one of the stories, just one no, of the stories
3: See, that I, I saw. I didn't think that, from that perspective, and look, the... Uh, the any kid on the spectrum got a special spot uh, in my heart for you guys. Worked with kids with autism for a long time before working here.
2: Didn't think of it from that yeah. perspective. And I didn't either until I saw it. Yeah. That's the power of social That's media. Good. That's, That's good. the power of showing well, all those who were bashing it, right? Who said, right. I could do without this. But how do you know how it looked without you tuning in and that That's curiosity right. peeking yeah. to well, see what it was going to look like. And I I peeked
3: back in like after my falcons were already getting blown out and I'm like, "Oh gosh, maybe it's toys. It'll it'll it won't sting as bad." And then I started to kind of see like I think during commercial breaks they would do trivia and it would be like how many points do you get for a field goal? And I'm like, okay, this is for
2: a lot younger of it, a crowd. It, no doubt I about was it. It was, it was definitely for the kiddos, right. for sure.
3: They were explaining what first downs are and all that. I'm like, okay, this is for, like, children. E- this is for, or I guess, you know, anyone who can't watch a normal football game. It was a simplified version, modified version, and,
2: i can see how it works for some people just didn't work for me no, hey, the reality though when etn had a couple of runs around the left end or trevor lawrence ran around the right end and ran out of bounds There's smoke coming out there the, man <laughs> it was it was realistic in regards to how they were making those yeah, animated yeah, characters I, I was talking about
3: that Bijan juke like i saw someone they posted a Bijan toy story hype mix and it was all his little plays and even as a toy, Bijan is still looking very elusive and elite. Unfortunately, we weren't able to catch a W. Nah, uh, Desmond bro, Ritter, was, Desmond Ritter's own <laughs> own teammate, his own wide receivers won't dap him up man, on the Man,
2: I sent you that clip when I saw that. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dirty Birds, they got some issues going on there, and I, I just don't see a lot of momentum moving forward. For the Falcons. It's but just the quarterback. We gotta figure that
3: out. Everything else, our defense look looks good. Our defense looks good. Our quarterback
2: just looks lost. Well, what about Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts, man. You you, you pay good money for him. Two receptions for twenty one yards. Desmond
3: Desmond Ritter is if Peyton Thorne somehow made the NFL. Like he he he's so mechanical. With his reeds. Like, you know, he looks like an animatronic at Chuck E. Cheese or something. The way he just (laughs) looks around. But, look, my Falcons weren't the only people to catch hard L's. The Saints, horrible L. But we're going to talk more with Mike Haas. We talked about them a little earlier. But what about the Cincinnati Bengals getting blown out by the Tennessee Titans
2: of all teams? Yeah, the, the Bengals have some issues right now. Jamar Chase. Said every play I'm open. Every play yeah, I'm he, open. And he threw an expletive
3: in there as yeah, well. Yeah, he had to, a colorful to metaphor. Really make I was sure really, you know I, he's I wanted. Open.
2: Yeah, I wanted to play that audio, but but FCC really wouldn't probably allow that and wouldn't yeah. like that too much. But you're looking at the Bengals one and three, and you do look at Joe Burrow and what he's not been able to accomplish. Man, Jamar Chase. I've got him in fantasy. Seven receptions, seventy-three yards. Doesn't really give you anything. T. Higgins now with I the broken rib. Fantasy. You know, he's out now with the broken rib. So where do the Bengals turn to in order to get that W? Now Derrick Henry, he throws a touchdown pass, rushes for a hundred and twenty-two, and I think that the Titans had to have this, and now they're at two and two, and they're sitting pretty as well, McCreary comes in and has six tackles. Roger McCreary from Williamson High School has a tackle for loss, makes himself known in the game, and you love to see that. I
3: don't I don't know if the Bengals have a new offensive coordinator or if it's the same one or if someone else is doing the play calls on offense. I don't know what's going on, but whatever it is, they need to be fired immediately. It's you know, Mike rough. Tomlin talking about making big changes on his team, but you cannot be four games into the season. And you're putting up three points?
2: No, not in the NFL. That's not gonna get it that's twice. not gonna get it done for you. And and let me ask you this as far as you look at the Bengals and their struggle. Now the Raiders, they're having their struggles too. They're at one and three. And Josh Jacobs, he mentioned how upset he was. And Aiden O'Connell comes in as a new quarterback for them, throws that one interception. At the goal line, but defensively, it kind of went kind of quiet yesterday. Khalil Mack, six sacks for Khalil Mack yesterday for the Chargers. And that's something he's won away from being right there in Derek Thomas type country in regards to his dominant performance. But the Raiders off to another slow start along with the Saints and right now who is the most dominant football team in the NFL nick the most dominant football By team in the far, NFL
3: without a doubt no question the San Francisco 49ers
2: the niners pummeled Arizona yesterday 35 to 16 and you you know they were in my top 2 cuz the dolphins were at number 1 a week ago and the dolphins losing pretty handily to the Buffalo Bills forty-eight to twenty, and I don't know what it is as to why Josh Allen has the, the 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 Miami Dolphins number, but Tua they get off to not necessarily a slow start. The first three possessions are all touchdowns: Buffalo, Miami, Buffalo, and then Buffalo again. And Tua didn't have a bad day throwing for two eighty-two, but Josh Allen very efficient: twenty-one out of twenty-five, three twenty and four touchdowns. With no interceptions, he's able to get it done. But you go off a week where you score 70 points, and then you turn around and you're only able to score 20. Well, and then you get 48 dropped on you, you know, the other way. And, and that's something that I didn't expect to happen at all. But what's the deal with Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers? Man, what? D'Amico Ryan, congratulations it. to him. C.J.
3: Stroud. Yo, let's talk about C.J. Stroud for a second. Rookie He's, of the year? Oh, at this point, by far. He's throwing for 300 yards a game. 300 yards a game. And they're winning these games against, you know, decent competition. I know the Steelers haven't looked good, but you know they're a well-coached group and they got a good defense. And you saw what they did against Jacksonville last week, winning, I think, by at least two touchdowns. The Texans, man, C.J. Stroud, man, that's well, the best quarterback out this rookie class. Behind
2: C.J. Stroud, you also look at a defense. Henry To'o To'o has seven tackles for the Texans. Christian Harris, another familiar name, very busy. Jimmy Ward, a name that we're very familiar with here along the Gulf Coast. D'Amico Ryans, they they they've only won two games. I say two and two. But if people were to say that the Houston Texans were going to have a chance at the AFC South, whether they would be at the bottom of the top, and being at two and two overall, not too shabby. But now Pittsburgh is in trouble with Kenny Pickett going out. Don't know how severe his injury is. Yep. Mitch Trubisky comes in. Najee Harris shows you where he can get you a hundred all-purpose yards. Mm, I'm off but on Najee. Two and two. Are uh, the Steelers? Are they in panic no- mode right now? Yeah,
3: yeah, they definitely are. Uh, let me see if I can pull up some Mike Tomlin comments, and you tell me if this sounds like a man who is in panic mode, okay?
4: Regarding changes, regarding hell yeah, we got to make some changes, man. Uh, that was that was that was an ugly product we put out there today, and so. Uh, We're not going to do the same things and and hope for a different outcome. What those changes are, man, we'll put together a plan uh, in preparation. Well, changes
2: are there for Mike Tomlin, whether it's at quarterback or offensively. They've definitely got to get it in gear. Now, last night, we've gone almost an hour and a half in this show. (laughs) Without mentioning. Don't say it. The lady who they showed a lot of, (laughs) yeah, and they cut away to her a lot of last night. It's getting to a point where it's
3: got to stop.
2: It ain't going to stop. It's only going to get worse. But let me ask you this: If you were to sit there and say that last night the final score would have been twenty three to twenty, I there's no way I would have believed that. And especially when you look at Zach Wilson. Every quarterback who's in the NFL deserves to be there. Correct. And the Saints fans that that aren't happy with Derek Carr coming over and being the new quarterback, to get and be elite, you are elite for a reason. Zach Wilson, from a confidence standpoint last night, was through the roof and gave his team an opportunity to win that game and showed why he is an NFL-type quarterback. But did he, did he win the game? No. no. Did they have an opportunity? That's all you could ask for. For the Jets, were there some questionable calls in that game? Yeah, there were. And Coach, Sala had some reasons to be upset as far as some of those calls that were being made. But the Kansas City Chiefs still at 3-1 and one at the end of the day. We'll talk a little bit more NFL on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins.
4: War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP.
2: Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty and Nick Wiggins joining you on this Let It Marinate Monday edition of The Final Drive. And we talked about the NFL and about the games that are going to be going on tonight. You do have a Monday night football game tonight. Seattle and the New York Giants will be playing one another. And Seattle at 2-1, the Giants at 1-2. I think that Seattle is going to handle their business tonight. Two and a half point favorites there. But we also do have Major League Baseball that will be starting up the playoffs. Texas and Tampa Bay, Toronto, Minnesota, Arizona, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philadelphia. All games that will be starting tomorrow in Major League Baseball. And of course, you do know that The Braves and the Dodgers received those buys. So Major League Baseball continuing in red hot October because you look at the temperature here, Nick. I know within the next couple of weeks, fall is officially here, but the temperatures still have been 85 and 90 degrees. Still plenty warm for baseball. Yeah, I'm ready to bust the hoodie out my closet, man.
3: I'm a hoodie guy, and ever since... You know, we've been working together since you came on in February. It's been hot. I've been wearing shorts. (laughs) I like wearing joggers. I like wearing a hoodie. Give me that opportunity, please, Mother Nature, someone.
2: And I know next hour we do have Mike Haas, who is the voice of the New Orleans Saints that will be joining us. We'll also be joined at the top of the hour by Zach Blackerby. And he's locked on Auburn, so we'll get his input and intake on how the Auburn Tigers were able to put up a valiant effort there against the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs. And you'll be talking to him while you're on the way to go
3: talk with Hugh Freeze. You think he's gonna give you some uh, well he he's talked to you so you think he'll give you some tips or some pointers or do you think he'll give you like a question that he wants you to slide in?
2: Probably or a question I'll slide in for him for sure. sure. Uh, I'll hey, slide in a question. You know listeners them. hey if you're on the app go ahead and type up the question that you want Corey
3: to ask Hugh Freeze. We can't guarantee that he's going to, but I'll guarantee this. If the question you put is better than the one Corey was going to ask originally, I'll bet he asks it, right?
2: Absolutely, (laughs) I'll ask it. No question about it. The Final Drive will be right back.
5: This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 105.5 WMSB.
2: About to wrap up our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte, along with Nick Wiggins, on this Let It Marinate Monday. And Auburn, they look better than they did against Texas A&M. What say you Auburn fans? I think that a team that did not look better, unfortunately, was our own South Alabama Jaguars as they fall to James Madison. South Alabama now 2-3. and three. 0-1 in conference play and James Madison, we knew going in, talking to Carter Bradley that James Madison is that team in the Sunbelt Conference that is really the new kid or the big bully on the block and South Alabama was going to have to be able to run the football well, Nick guess how many total rushing yards South Alabama had against James Madison
3: Uh, I don't know I'm going to say under 70.
2: Yeah, uh, let's try 27. Oh, geez. You can't win like that. <laughs> 27 rushing yards. And James Madison, it was no secret, they only gave up 43 yards coming into that game. So you knew what you had sure. to do to win the football game. But South gets popped in the mouth early in the first quarter. is down 14-0. to and does respond with a second-quarter touchdown and three points in the third quarter and kept James Madison to a donut and really was in with in striking distance as bad as they played. And Carter Bradley had to throw the ball 50 times. But at the same time, unfortunately, with him throwing the ball 50 times, for every 10 passes he threw, he was sacked. So he was sacked five times, and uh, they had one pick six that they did off of a tip ball that they were able to take to the house, a big lineman's dream, and taking it to the house for James Madison and the Dukes. So unfortunately, South Alabama will have to bounce back now on the road against Louisiana Monroe, which I know that they're capable of doing, but they have to put four quarters of football together. And I don't think there was any hangover from the Central Michigan loss. I just think that James Madison is that good. Yeah, and, it, and James Madison has only been in the
3: FBS for, what, two years? Yeah, I they, think they're, I, no,
2: they're still I not heard. eligible to do things yeah. that they want to do. But they Had a winning record last year, and have another winning record this year.
3: I mean, they're they're beginner's luck. I don't know, but they're off to a hot start for sure. And South Alabama, you know, we were talking to Carter Bradley. I said, "Hey man, it's been a roller coaster—the the ups and the downs." Y'all are national cheese it team of the week, sweet. You know, swimming in the white cheddar or whatever, and then you lose your homecoming game. Now you—it's just. This might be just how this season goes. Sometimes you have off years. I think everyone expected them to go from ten and two. You know, you build on that and hopefully you win ten games. Maybe you win eleven, but
2: it's looking like we're due for some regression, unfortunately. Well, it, it can't happen if you're Kane Womick squad. And I don't think it will happen against Louisiana Monroe. Two and two, Coach Bowden, one of the Bowden coaches of the Family abounds, very successful wherever he's been. But 2-2 two and two versus the 2-3 and three Jaguars. The Jaguars have a chance. They've struggled when they go down and play in Monroe. But this will be a great game for South Alabama to bounce back. And it's going to be a much-needed win for Kane Womack right. and the squad prior to them having an opportunity to take on Southern Miss, their next home game at hancock whitney stadium which will be a tuesday night game in the middle of october let's get it in gear jaguars we believe in you yeah that's right look don't get in your
3: head that you are this up and down up and down team you gotta just shake it off get level-headed and go in and win the next one i think they will nick moment by moment
2: like kirby smart says zach blackerby locked on auburn hour number three of the final drive coming up next
0: The Sound of Mobile presents... For the win! The final drive. Oh, no, they
4: didn't. Oh, my
0: gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. For the win! Yes! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable.
8: Welcome to our number three of the final drive on WNST 105.5. Corey Labonte, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Let It Marinate Monday. And we've been marinating on the fact that Auburn played much better against Georgia than it did against Texas A&M. Alabama probably played its most complete game thus far of the season. We've also been marinating on the problems that the Saints have been having offensively, and they've been looking more like the Aints, as, of course, at 5.30, we'll have the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Mike Hosh, joining us on the final drive. And joining us now, always locked into Auburn, is our good friend Zach Blackerby. Zach
4: Thieves look for the biggest payoff with the least risk. In the past, thieves would rob a bank, get a few thousand dollars, but usually get caught and face years in prison. So they started stealing cars, make a few thousand dollars, and risk a lot less jail time. But as the penalties increase, the thieves look for something safer. Why risk years in jail for a few thousand dollars when you can steal a truckload of cargo worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and have very little chance of getting caught or going to jail? Cargo theft has become a major problem in the U.S and the National Insurance Crime Bureau needs your help to put a stop to it. Stolen cargo adds to the cost of merchandise, food, and transportation, and buying stolen goods over the Internet or on the street corner is risky and dangerous. Stolen food or pharmaceuticals can pose a real health hazard. If you know something about cargo theft or stolen goods for sale, call your local police or call us at 1-800-TEL-NICB. A public service message from the National Insurance Crime Bureau.
8: Zach welcome back to the final drive and Auburn looked much better against Georgia still have questions offensively and I know tonight Hugh Freeze will be at downtown Mo's barbecue here in Mobile Alabama to where he'll probably be addressing that quarterback position but Auburn's offense from a rushing standpoint definitely looked better
9: it did it looked a lot better it looked a lot better and I think even some of the passes and decisions that were made by quarterbacks looked better. I still think they're off by a little bit. But, look, I mean, let's face it. the Auburn, Auburn's first two teams in SEC play are probably going to be the best two defenses that they play for the rest of the year, pending, you know, some kind of resurgence with Alabama, which could certainly happen, don't get me wrong. But I just think when you look at that LSU and Ole Miss matchup, and both of those are your next two opponents, Mississippi State looks super vulnerable. Arkansas hasn't done anything to impress me on defense. I think the fact that you were able to take that step from Texas A&M to Georgia, and now you go into a bye week, I think this seems close. It's certainly closer than it was as far as being able to create an offensive identity and create points and yards and put stress on the opposing defense. And I think they're just going to be able to get better. One, because this is still a quarterback and a lot of new players. That are in a new system that's going to happen over time, but also I think the schedule gets a lot easier for Auburn. Well,
8: Zach, I know you've been around plenty and your fair share of Auburn football games. I don't think that there's been a more electric environment and the hype when Auburn goes up 10 to 0. At the end of the first quarter, with all the celebrities and all the recruits and all the former Auburn Tiger athletes that were on campus, you couldn't have asked for a better start. And the orange out provided, as far as those pom-poms and not people throwing them under the bleachers, they had reason to wave them all the way up until Brock Bowers, to me the best college football player today, takes over the game in the fourth quarter.
9: Yeah, Brock Bowers is good, and there's so many folks that are saying, oh, man, you know, I can't believe Brock Bowers got free. It's like, Look, some of these players, it's just you can game plan for them all week, but eventually they're going to break through. That's just what makes them great. There are guys that are problems, and Auburn's had a few. Alabama's had a bunch, and, you know, um, I mean, guys, you know, they've got to go to LSU in two weeks, and boy, if they had a bunch of problems offensively too as far as the guys that you have to defend over the last several years. This is part of it. That's what makes these players great. That's what makes these players special, and that's a great part of college football. But as far as the energy that you were talking about, Corey, there's no question about it. And look, none of this was an accident. Hugh Freeze knew how big of a weekend this would be from a recruiting standpoint, and I think he did it enough to kind of say, hey, imagine if we had you. Imagine if we had some help. Imagine if we had a roster packed with four and five stars we were going up against the roster pack with five stars and four stars and the elite talent, and um, they almost won with a bunch of guys that played group of five football a year ago. And so I think this is kind of part of the proof of concept that what Hugh Freeze is going to be able to pitch to some of these recruits and say, hey, we're close. We just need you. Come give us your services for the next three years, and we're going to be able to win at Auburn. I think that's a certain, uh, certainly a big part of it. And look, all of the, all of this wasn't on accident. All these big Auburn celebrities—Frank Thomas, SUNY Lee, Cam Newton, Charles Barkley—I mean, it's a who's who. Um, there's no question about it. Of all the folks that were there at Jordan Hare Stadium on Saturday, and they were all taking pictures with the recruits. Um, Hugh Freeze knew what he was doing. He certainly knew what he was doing, and it sounded like it worked. A lot of positive feedback from uh, the recruits that took unofficial visits and official visits over the weekend.
8: Well, I tell you, that's what it's all about as far as creating that buzz around the program and seeing improvement. And to me, sometimes your bye week can't happen at a better time. And if you're Hugh Freeze, you get an opportunity not only to have speaking engagements this entire week that you're off, you have a chance to get to these high schools and reestablish connections with a lot of these players, and one of them that I know he can't speak on specifically tonight that will be honored is Perry Thompson, who will be president, and I will be presenting him with the first and 10 Ceasefire Award. But those type of relationships are, are so valuable for what Hugh Freeze is trying to build and what you talked about. But the biggest question people have moving forward is still the quarterback situation. Robbie Ashford or Peyton Thorne, you're still looking at, Wanting Peyton Thorn to be able to read the defense and find other receivers outside of Fairweather and Jay Fair, and I think that this week off, especially the way that LSU's defense is struggling, he'll have every opportunity to go ahead and continue to grow Peyton Thorn. That is as Auburn's starting quarterback.
9: That's my guess, Corey. Uh, I think I'm pretty much aligned with you on that, and. I think there is an argument to making the change. I'm not saying that they will, but I do think there's an argument for it. And if you're going to do it, if you see that as a possibility over the next three or four weeks, this is when you do it. I don't think it's going to happen, but there's certainly been some chatter amongst the fan base on if that was going to happen. I think it's going to be Peyton Thorne. And like you said, I think every week in this system, he's going to get a little bit more comfortable I think he's going to get a little bit more time to throw the football as well. I mean, even if it's an extra half a second, I think that kind of allows you to get to an extra read and feel a little bit more comfortable. So we'll see. We'll certainly see what that happens with that. But, yeah, use every bit of this bye week. Look, Auburn, Auburn's got a several goals for this bye week, I'm guessing. The first is to get healthy. Auburn's really, really banged up. The second one is you got to figure out your offensive identity and how that impacts your quarterback play. And they're going to spend a lot of time on that this week, and then they'll focus on LSU next week.
8: Well, moving forward also in the bye week, Auburn can continue to work on its running game because it was very effective against this Georgia defense that had been given up less than 75 yards per game rushing. And here it is. All of a sudden, when you look at the end of the day for Auburn from a box store, store, uh, score standpoint, they have... 219 yards rushing and Zach I know that's something that you've been waiting for everybody's kind of been waiting for Auburn to get that ground and pound which makes Peyton Thorne a little bit more comfortable or allowing him or Robbie to roll out of the pocket and get into their comfort zone also with Hugh Freeze calling the offense moving forward do you see that continuing to be the trend
9: um, maybe. All right. So we went a lot of directions with that. So first off, I yeah. mean, I think Georgia's defense rushing the, uh, allowing the rush. I think that was a really misleading stat. And we talked about that a lot on locked on Auburn last week, how they were, you know, allowing under what you said, 75. Um, mm-hmm. nobody was really running against Georgia because everybody was been told you can't run against Georgia. And you, know, you just look at South Carolina and the success that they had. I mean, outside of Spencer Rattler runs. I believe they only had eight rushing attempts against Georgia in that entire game. And it's like, why, why does everybody think this? Because, you know, their average yard per rush allowed wasn't anything cr- like, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. So it was like average in the SEC. It's like, you can certainly run against Georgia. And so that was kind of the drum that I was beating all last week. And, and it turns out that's exactly what the game plan was. As far as the quarterback rotation, I still think there's some things that they've got to figure out. And, look, it's hard to nail this down. That's why so few offenses do it, right? That's why, like, usually usually when you have a quarterback or two-quarterback system in an offense, it's not good. It's hard to figure out. So, you know, there are times when it just seems like it's an obvious fit for Robbie to be in there, and he's just not in there. He was in on a third and short, and then it's fourth and one, and they're going for it and they put Peyton back out there, like, that's when you need Robbie in. To me, that's, that's my guess, but that's not really what we've seen so far. So it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of rhyme or reason when Robbie goes in and when he comes out. Uh, I don't know if it's just a vibes thing or what, but they've got to figure that out. It, it, just, it still seems clunky to me.
8: All right, so Hugh Freeze really wanted to have his hand back in calling the offense. Will he continue to do that, do you
9: feel, against LSU? I think he has to until he trusts that Philip Montgomery and here on the same page. Um, You got to do what you did last week because that's exactly what worked. And I think Peyton and Robbie both, they need RPOs called. And that's what Hugh Freeze wants in an offense. And you know, I don't think Philip Montgomery leaned on those as much in that Texas A and M game, which I think was a real wake up call for Hugh Freeze as far as him needing to be involved. And, you know, he said that the game plan and prepping and all of that kind of hindered his ability to recruit some. I think you gotta do it. Sorry, coach. Like I I know you wanna recruit more than anything in the world, but at some point you gotta you gotta focus on this offensive game plan and, and, and help. So Um, I think so, Corey. I think that'll be a part of every game moving forward. Absolutely.
8: And one last thing for you, as we have about a minute and a half left with you here, Zach, is the third down conversion rate really was not what it needed to be. And if I told you going in that Auburn was only going to convert two out of 12 third downs, would you feel that the final score would only be seven
9: points in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs? No, that's something I talked about on my post-game show, Corey. You're absolutely right. Two for 12 on third down and one of three on fourth down. So the money downs, the most important downs of the football game, Auburn did not execute on. And Georgia did for the most part. And if you would have told me Georgia's, you know, it was the clip that they were at, I certainly wouldn't have believed you. Um, So, I mean, props to this team, props to both sides of the football with the effort. I mean, both sides of the ball really punched up. As far as you know, talent versus talent, and uh, I, I think there's enough there for Auburn fans to kind of say, "Okay, this is what Hugh Freeze is going to bring to Auburn. He just needs his dudes, and it's just going to take time." Is
8: there a question tonight that you would like me to, to ask Coach Freeze as he's visiting Mobile tonight?
9: Nah, no, Corey, you ask whatever you want. No, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people want to know about the the quarterback. Situation. I think a lot of people want to know about, you know, the health of certain guys like Austin Keys and Damari Austin. and um, just kind of what they're using this bye week for. Those, those would kind of be the things that I'd like to hear them talk about. Appreciate you so
8: much, Zach. How can people tune in and get all of your tremendous Auburn Tigers coverage, whether it be pregame, whether it be postgame, and definitely throughout the week as well?
9: Yeah, Locked on Auburn, available wherever get your podcast. Also on YouTube, we launched a new show called Village Vice. Just search Village Vice on YouTube. We will pop up. Brad Law and myself host that. And you can read all of my written work at auburndaily.com.
8: Zach, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and take care, my friend. Hey, thanks, guys. Zach Blackerby, Locked on Auburn, joining us this evening on the final drive. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jake Toker,
5: quarterback at
9: Alabama. And while I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSP.
3: Welcome back to the final drive. Corey is currently in the process of chatting up Hugh Freeze, who's in Mobile tonight. But look, when you need to know what's going on in the world of golf, there is only one guy to talk to. And that guy is the one, the only, John Ricchetti. John, how's it going, man? i'm doing
5: great man how are you guys doing today i mean uh cory's going to talk to Hugh freeze you speaking of hugh freeze he's a big time golfer Is by that the way so?
3: huh. huge huge golfer nowhere near as good of a play. golfer as you right
5: uh i don't know i mean hugh freeze can play now he's a good player there's no question about it he loves golf avid golfer and uh you know, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, maybe one day playing some golf with you. I guess he's going to he's gonna change that program at Auburn. The, the Auburn Tigers will be back.
3: That's right. Well, look, we'll see if Corey can set up a tee time for you guys. But where are you at tonight, and what are you guys planning on covering on the show?
5: Well, we're going to be at Felix's fish camp tonight. Uh, me and Danny and uh, Bronner will be with us. So he's got a massive show tonight. I mean, obviously – the number one, you know, room in the elephant, the biggest thing is the Ryder cup and how the Americans got beat up. And even though they did make it a little, little interesting Sunday afternoon, but, uh, but it was just too much to handle. The European team was dominating. And, uh, you know, like I said, let's give credit where, you know, you can back, you can be, you know, quarterback all you want and criticize everything here and there and, Zach Johnson, but let's give credit where credit is due. And the European team played spectacular. Uh, their top players were spectacular. They had three of the four top players in the world, and they performed. Uh, I think they were like 10, 2, and 2, or something might like give or take a point, but they were spectacular. And when that happens, you usually win. Uh, so, you know, I'm talking about John Rom. McElroy Victor Hovland, just played you can throw in Fleetwood played well Tyrrell Hatton played well so they had a slew of guys and we only had really in my opinion really only one bright spot on the American team and that was Max Homa and, uh, he was the only one that uh, that was uh, one you know was had a winning record so would it, uh, but other than that our, our horses just did not perform and I guess at the end of the day too many outside. Distractions. You got the Hat Gate, and we had the controversy with the caddies, and then you know the and and so forth, and you know, and then Patrick Cantley getting married today in Rome, and you know was there for the you know his wedding, you know he had played a Ryder Cup, but then he was getting married the next day, so I don't know how much even though he played okay, I don't know how much his mind was on the you know on the Ryder Cup and so forth, and. But uh, let's give, just give credit where credit is due, uh, Nick. Uh, the European team played spectacular.
3: Well, John, I can't wait to hear your in-depth analysis and breakdown of all the stories going on in the golf war- world tonight at 6 o'clock.
5: Well, I appreciate you guys, and uh look forward to talking to you guys next week. And uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Monday.
3: Yes, sir. I'll be tuning in at 6. Well, guys, there's your Miller Lite Golf Report, courtesy of the one and only John Ricchetti. When we come back, Corey and I will be talking with the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Mike Haas. They had a very, very tough game this past Sunday, and that's coming off a very, very tough fourth quarter the Sunday before that. So... Always love talking with Mike. You can hear him during every Saints game here on 105.5 WNSP broadcasting the game. But look, when we come back, we'll hear from him. And then after that, we'll wrap up the show. This is The Final Drive. Hey, this is
8: Showtime Boxing Analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5
0: WNSP.
2: Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Let It Marinate Monday. Of course, we're taking your phone calls at 251-694-1055. And you can always download the free Sound of Mobile app to correspond with us to any Apple or Android device that you may have. And with the NFL this weekend, NFC South Divisional Game, the Saints and the Buccaneers and it didn't go the way that New Orleans Saints fans had planned who better to talk to us about that than the voice of the New Orleans Saints Mike Haas joining us this evening Mike how's everything going my brother
6: well you know it could be a better Monday uh it was a rough weekend but you know it's October 2nd there's a cool front coming later this week so you're gonna have to you mean, let me, yeah yesterday was a battle to 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 keep the glass half full <laughs> a battle uh and so it's gonna be a, gonna be some tough questions to get answered this week but you got to put it behind you It's only four weeks in man we got a long way to go
2: you're right plenty of time remaining and, and if you want to try to find those positives it's the fact that Alvin kamar did return had 11 rushes for 51 yards and also was a target for 13 receptions for 33 yards. So that part was positive for the Saints. The the negative part was the fact that just offensively, the Saints are really struggling in ways that we didn't think that they would be, especially with the returning of Kamara and Derek Carr at the helm at quarterback.
6: Yeah, I mean it's 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 just it's pretty simple, right? I mean, they have struggled Every game, even in the victories, uh, in the red zone, better Carolina, but the red zone has has been problematic. And so when you get down there, I mean the Saints had three drives yesterday. Uh, one was eleven plays. One was twelve plays. Went seven oh nine off the clock. Another was fourteen plays. Five oh two. So they had like eighteen minutes of drives is moving the ball down the field and got nine points so you, you can't do that i mean tampa had a 17 play 851 uh, and a 10 play 445 touchdowns touchdowns to field goals it's not it, it's it's not rocket science it is what it is i mean the saints learned this last year against tampa week two three three into the fourth quarter you can't you can't trade field goals with with Tampa lost in week thirteen, in Tampa, you know, leading sixteen to three, but got a got a chance to put them away. He had three field goals and a touchdown. So it's it's not that the offense can't move the ball. Like the Camara thing, to me, the interesting part about his his, his rushing was that really was just on that one drive in the third quarter. Most of it, um, and his receptions actually set a record. I saw on a tweet that. It's the least amount of yards for the most receptions ever in the n f l He had thirteen receptions for thirty three yards, and the most and the, the record prior to that for the least amount of yards for that many receptions was seventy one he had thirty three so he 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 owns that record pretty solid and you know it, it was just they could not find a way to get the ball over the middle. Everything was short and to the, and to the outside, and it just became um, too easily to defend. And, but really, it's about red zone, and they lost the turnover battle. You lose the turnover battle, like the Saints did, at home, two. They were minus two, and you lose red zone. And I don't mean they just lost the red zone. like It was close. It was not close in the red zone, and you're going to lose the football game.
3: And it's just simple. We're talking with Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints. What do you think is causing the lack of explosiveness in this offense? I mean, is it the line? Is it the scheme? You talk about Alvin uh, Kamara, only 33 yards on those 13 catches. No one's really having any big chunk plays. Well, I think, I think you have to go
6: back and go, okay, well, what happened in the first two and a half games? They had more chunk plays, 20-plus, 40-plus, than probably most NFL teams. So Carr, I mean, you've got Rashid Shaheed and Olave, both have multiple forty yarders. Uh, then you get to the second half in Green Bay, Carr goes down, James comes in. You know they come back, no points on the board. And then this week, for for whatever reason, you know it's not that they didn't throw it deep. They have fifty five yarder plus to Olave in the end zone. Just got made a good defensive play. But it was really just to me. It was it wasn't the forty yarders that they lacked. It was just give something in the mid range, fifteen to twenty five, kind of over the middle to to just open things up a little. So, you know, I, I do not think I think that Derek Carr was ready to play. I don't think his arm. It may have factored in his decision making and the clock in his head, right from when to release, and maybe maybe it it, it caused him to release. A second sooner or a half a second i don't know but i don't see how it couldn't because i'm sure that was part of the game plan don't take a sack dump it off get rid of the ball so I, i'm sure that that was part of the game plan but other than that he i think he was uh, you know not 100 percent, but fully equipped to run this offense you talk about for whatever reason they just didn't have any chunk plays you're right
3: right you, you talk about alvin getting most of his rushing yards on that one drive You know, there's really not a lot of rushing yards other than that to go around. Is this team just becoming an air raid pass heavy type of scheme and maybe losing its balance a little bit, you think?
6: It feels like early on, well, the first drive wasn't bad. I mean, there's some penalties that that hated it, but, uh, you know, they drove down the field uh, and got the field goal, you know, 11 plays. And it felt like, you know, they were spreading the ball around, you know, Mike Thomas, and it just, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how the plan is with Taysom early on, uh, at least from a running standpoint. Um, and and clearly, the, we saw the Alvin of old in that third quarter uh, running the football, that's, that's, that drive is what we expected to see pretty much this season, because that drive also included a Mike Thomas catch of 13 yards. So I don't, I don't, I just, they haven't been able to do it. It's really first down. Now, again, this is the first game with Alvin and he hadn't really played. He didn't play hardly in the preseason. And he had one drive. So he hadn't been really in a football action mode since January of last year. I just feel like first down, running or passing has been so average to below average. They put themselves in, in second and eight, second and 10, and then it's third and eight or third and, and seven. And then it's, just, it's they're, they're, they're too, too easy to defend. So I don't know if it's that they can't run the ball, but they certainly haven't been able to run the ball or throw it real, real well on first down.
2: When you look at being able to get home to the quarterback, especially against Baker Mayfield, What happens is you turn around, you turn over Baker Mayfield, and then you turn the ball right back over. So three turnovers for the Saints and the inability to get home and sack the opposing quarterback this week really affected New Orleans defensively because sometimes all it takes is that one big, huge play to where when your defense runs off the field, now they have to come running back on because you're not securing the football and it just the lack of sacks to me and pressures against baker made a huge difference in the outcome of this game also
6: 100% agree uh you there's two things you can't do with baker mayfield i'm talking throughout his nfl career if you if you give him time if you let him stand back there the, the man was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, I mean, he, 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 he can throw the football. He he knows what he's doing back there. So if you give him time, he will do what he did yesterday, which was gain confidence. And then if you secondarily can't contain him in the pocket and let him run, which he did for some key first downs, he took him out of field goal range, into field goal range. So when you break containment so you don't get real pressure on him so he gains Confidence, and then he, he's able to escape your, your your rush and gain first downs and, and, and key yardage. And those are the two things you can't do with Baker Mayfield. And then you do. You get to pick in the end zone. Isaac Yedem, great play. And then you turn it right back over, you know, on the very next play. And they score in 10 seconds. So, bang, bang. You go into halftime, down 7-3, even though they get the ball in the third quarter, To me, it's a different football game than going into halftime the way they did 14-3 and with that turnover right at the end. It was was deflating in the building, and I'm sure it was deflating on the sidelines of that football team.
2: Well, I know as the passion that you share for the New Orleans Saints – And the passion that Deuce McAllister has. I know a couple of my friends called who are listening to the Saints broadcast right here on WNSP and they were like, look, Deuce is going off right now on the New Orleans Saints. And that's something being a former player and knowing what it takes, especially an offensive player where the Saints are really struggling, he just lays it all out on the line and tells the truth.
6: Yeah, he always does, always has. I admire him for that. He's uh, the easiest uh, to work with and the best to work with, but you're right. I mean, he was, I mean, it was, he put, set it up probably a lot yesterday. He said, This is bad offense, bad execution. It's not a bad offense. It was a bad offensive execution. Uh, play everything. You know you want to call it? Play calling, whatever you, whatever, however you want to get in there and get into the weeds, you do what you want. But in the end, it was bad execution. Now, I will say this. This was a unique situation. So they go into the football game with two tight ends, Juwan Johnson and Jimmy Graham. Foster Morrow is hurt, so he's out. And I'm pretty sure given the quarterback situation last week with Derek and Taysom and Jameis, that Taysom probably didn't take any or very many snaps at tight end, and I don't really count him as a tight end anyway. So you went now all of your two tight end plays that you have worked on all week are gone. Because Jawan jo- jo- wasn't hurt. He hurt himself in pregame. He wasn't on the injury list at all. So now you go down to one tight end at Jimmy Graham. So every play that you had as a two tight end situation is out. So there were some, you know, changes on the fly. But the answer to your question is, yes. Deuce says it like it is. And yesterday it wasn't pretty from an offensive standpoint and defensive as well. I mean, Tampa Bay's offense has been very poor in the red zone. Poor. In the red zone yesterday, they were three of four in the red zone touchdowns. Goal to go, three of three. So, again, if you let that a team does that in your building, and you lose the turnover war, you're going to lose ninety percent of the time.
2: Well, the Saints definitely don't want to lose next week when they head to New England, Foxborough, catching the Patriots at really an inopportune time, with the Patriots having their wor- worst loss ever in the Bill Belichick. Era losing to the Cowboys last night. The Saints getting in gear next Sunday, noon kickoff. I think that what changes will be made, or what changes are you expecting to see, and will the Saints be on the winning side of things after they play the Patriots?
6: And it's an important game. You're right. I mean, the Patriots have had a rough first four games. They hosted Philadelphia. It was in the Super Bowl. Then they hosted Miami division opponent. Then they were playing at the Jets, which was supposed to be Aaron Rodgers, but it wasn't. as It was Zach Wilson. So they win that game. Then they have to go to at Dallas. So as the first four game set goes, that's a pretty rough one. But their one and three record is probably better. They're a better football team than their one and three record would indicate. I would say for the Saints, same is just get people back. Get Foster Morrow back. What's Juwan Johnson's situation? And secondarily, you know it's your last game without Marcus May, but they haven't had Paulson or debo. you're starting cornerback, so if you get Paulson back from his hamstring, you move Vellante back to the slot, and then you know Isaac Geham is not out on an island so much, and you, you, this defense is is it's the same people and offensively. You just you you try to replicate that drive in the third quarter with Alvin. You've got the same players, right? It's Mike Thomas. It's Olave, It's Shaheed. It's Taysom. It's Alvin. It's Derek Carr, right? Now we get the offensive line. If Caesar Ruiz comes back, he goes back to right guard. Uh, Hurst goes to left guard because you're going to lose Andres Pete. He's going to be in concussion protocol this week. So you, it's not like you you've lost these. Uh, all these cogs to what you thought was going to be your offense. They're all still there. It's just going to have to be better execution. You've got to figure out a way to do something better on first down. So you're not in third down eight. So often this offense has the people, but you're right. There's going to be some hard, difficult questions to get get asked this week about play calling and and things like that. But for the most part, you get people back. You get Paulson and Debo back. You get Cesar Ruiz back and you get hopefully a tight end back. Because you go into a game with one tight end in this offense, I mean, that's tough. And that's a tight end you didn't even have in training camp with you.
2: I agree with you there. The the Saints are going to be looking to rebound. The good thing is that it's not a divisional matchup. So, you know, you try to look at it half full, half empty, to where you want to win those NFC South games. That's why I thought that it was so critical for them to go ahead and beat the Buccaneers because, you know, when you look at the other teams, Packers and Patriots, all right, if you drop to them, you're still controlling your own destiny within the NFC South. And I know that there are diehard passionate New Orleans fans, Saints right here in Mobile, Alabama, and along the Gulf Coast in our listening area on our looking for the Saints to turn it up. And I will say this, if there is something that makes, people happy in regards to where saints are seeing improvement since that green bay game you look at blake Grupe; he has not missed since that field goal to win the game against the packers and he's really gotten into a groove so i do try to find positives but you mentioned it at the beginning of our interview field goals are not going to win you games in the nfl consistently when you're in the red zone two and three times you got to score touchdowns without question
6: yeah, man, that's yesterday. The Saints were o for two in the red zone, And so had three field goals. You know, one was in was in the forties, but and the Buccaneers were three of four. That's twenty one points to you know six two field goals against twenty one. Um, man, that's just that's tough to overcome. And but but you score touchdowns on those drives. man, the game's different. The whole game is different. And quite frankly, I think after, and it can be debatable to me on the Isaac Yadim interception, you know, do they get it at the one or should that ball have been taken at the 20? Was he in the end zone? Or did he kind of get carried his momentum into the end zone? Because if that ball's on the 20, you take, you don't even, you take a knee. You're not, even, you're not even running the football. You take a knee and go to halftime down 7-3. But that, that, that play call that by the referees, that decision was costly
2: it really was and we'll see if the costly new orleans saints can cash in a w next week when they head to foxborough and take on the new england patriots mike can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the final drive how can everyone tune in to everything that you have that's going on in relation to the new orleans saints
6: well, certainly, if you, you follow along the network tonight, we'll have the Dennis Allen Show from 6.30 to 7.30 on the network. And then tomorrow night from 7 to 8, we'll have uh, the Saints Hour with Saints Executive Vice President and General Manager Mickey Loomis. And you can follow me on Facebook at Mike at Mike Haas or Haas uh, Communications and uh, Twitter or X uh, at Mike MikeHaas.com, C-O-M-M. And, you know, just we appreciate all the support on the Gulf Coast and Mobile and all those hoodats up and down uh, the Gulf Coast, man. We're very, very appreciative of everyone's support.
2: Mike Haas, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, joining us this evening on the Final Drive. Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned into 105.5 WNSP The Sports Station.
3: Welcome back to the final segment of the Final Drive. And guys, it has been an amazing show up to this point. We talked with Tony Sakalis earlier on at 3.30 about Alabama and their dominant win over Mississippi State. Is this a new look Nick Saban? Is this the Nick Saban of old? Hopefully. We'll see. Got a tough game against Texas A&M coming up. Might be their toughest game that they have throughout the remainder of their schedule. I mean, look what LSU's been looking like lately. Texas A&M might be a little better. Auburn, I would say Texas A&M is better than them. We also talked with Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn about their close game against Georgia. I think Auburn was lucky to be in that game like they were. I mean, you're not throwing the ball. You're breaking off some random long runs with your quarterback. Brock Bowers, he turned it up in the second half and secured that win for Georgia. Georgia. Talked a little New Orleans Saints with Mike Haas just now. They didn't have a good weekend. My Falcons didn't have a good weekend. Man, I was watching that Toy Story broadcast feeling like Sid, man. I wanted to take apart that Desmond Ritter action figure and tie him to a bottle rocket. But Arthur Smith says they're not making a quarterback change, so Taylor Heineke will stay on his high knee on the bench as Ritter continues to uh, try and play quarterback. So, we'll see how that goes. The Jets almost got a win on the Chiefs last night in front of Taylor Swift and company. And look, some people are saying that the NFL milking this Taylor Swift on social media for clicks and whatnots getting a little getting a little uh, out of proportion. I think the NFL's bio on their Twitter. I think it said the Chiefs are 2-0 and since they've been Swifties. That is the official NFL Twitter's bio. So, seems a little biased. And then you got that tough call with Sauce Gardner getting called for the hold. Are the Swifties running the NFL? You got Donna Kelsey. She's at the Eagles game at noon sitting next to Jake from State Farm. Then she's at the Chiefs game that night. Next to Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman and Taylor Swift, Donna Kelsey, man, really getting around in a in a clean, uh, supporting mother type of way. The guys, we'll be back tomorrow for Talking Football Tuesday. We'll discuss this Monday Night Football matchup tonight. We'll continue breaking down the storylines from the weekend. We'll hear what Hugh Freeze says to Corey. That's where Corey's at right now. He's talking to Hugh Freeze, so I'm sure he'll get some good questions in. But until then, guys, enjoy the John Ricchetti golf show. Enjoy Monday night football. Enjoy your evening by yourself, with your partner, with your kids, however you choose to spend it. I hope it's good. Cook something good for dinner. Go get something good for dinner. And then we'll get up tomorrow morning. We'll do it all again. So until then, I'm Nick Wiggins. This is The Final Drive.